Welcome back to the Back Pain Podcast, episode 78. Now, today we have another patient story for you. So anyone who is suffering from sciatica, back pain, this one's for you. Sometimes it's great to hear someone else going through the same thing. However, today's a little different though, because the patient is also a practitioner. They're a chiropractor from the US. So strap in, episode 78, patient stories, sciatica success. Let's go. Welcome to the Back Pain Podcast with Rob and Dave, the only show geared specifically to help educate you about your back pain. We talk to the experts to bust the myths, break down the science, and give you all the top tips for living pain-free. So if you're driving to work, tidy in the house, or even laid up at home in pain, we have something for everyone. Okay, guys, we're honored to be joined today by Dr. Jacob Harden. He's a chiropractor from Orlando Sports Rehab, who's here to discuss his recent journey with sciatica. It's a really unique insight into how a chiropractor and someone who treats patients every day may deal with their back pain personally. It shows the toll it can take on work and family life, and we also discuss the impact it can have on mental health and how a mindset shift can contribute to the overall management of symptoms. I love this episode, guys. Jacob's got some great insights into uh, mindset around dealing with back pain. One of the things that I love is most of the stuff that he talks about is doable at home without practitioners on your own, without having to seek help. You can affect some of these changes yourself to see if that helps you in your journey for free today after listening to this podcast. I mean, how good is that? There's so much to take away from this episode, both as a patient, but also as a clinician, if you're out there listening. It's a really insightful episode. If you learned something from it, please do consider sharing it with a friend or a colleague. It helps us grow. It helps us reach more people and hopefully help more and more. Links to Jacob's clinic and also his Instagram. I mean, this dude's got nearly 600k followers. Nice work. Um, are all on the show notes as always. Enjoy. We'll catch you on the next one. Episode 78, Sciatica Success Stories. Let's go. And welcome back to the Back Pain Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined this evening with Dr. Jacob Harden, chiropractor from Florida, who's going to talk to us all about his personal journey with back pain and sciatica. So a slightly different patient story, because obviously you're coming at us from a clinician's perspective as well as a patient perspective. So it'd be really interesting to hear your thoughts. So thank you very much for joining us this evening, Jacob. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's something that I think will hopefully bring uh, some value to some people going through it. Fantastic. So let's kick off right at the beginning. What happened to you in terms of your injury? How long ago was it? And how did it start to manifest itself? Yeah. So I think like a lot of people, um, there wasn't actually a single incident that led to it, at least not that I can say without speculation. Um, so I'll start with where I, what I know, and then I can kind of like go back a little bit further to kind of into some speculation about maybe how we got here. Um, but for most of this year, at least since February, I had been dealing with some kind of glute right hip pain. Um, every time I would go into like a hip hinge, kind of bend over at the waist, um, motion. And so I was working out back in April, the end of April, and I decided I was going to do some, uh, 
I, I knew from my perspective that this was a, a neural issue. So it was some nerve stuff going on. And so I decided to do some nerve mobilization um, in my, one of my workouts. And I woke up the next day and my just leg was, and hip were on fire. And um, I was limping. And it honestly, it just kind of didn't calm down from that point. And you know, whatever I did there, it, it really made it very angry. Um, now, as far as kind of how I got to this point, um, I had dealt with some back pain for most of 2020 and whether that's related or not, who can say, um, and then back in like February, right before I started to feel some of the, that neural irritation, some of that hip pain that I was having, um, I was in the middle of a workout. I was doing a squat and I, I distinctly remember I was coming up on one of my last reps and I felt like my back flexed on the way up. I was like, I have never felt this before in my life that I, that mechanic doesn't even make sense to me. Um, and I, you know, I racked it up and I had a little bit of back pain later that day, but laid down, put my son down for a nap, got up and really was fine and was training normally for the next month. Um, and then it was the month later, April, where I kind of started the whole nerve irritation. Um, and he here we go from there. So do you think that, that the back pain was the start of the, the incident and then that led to the kind of the sciatica and leg pain later? Or was there kind of a clear definition of back pain's gone, I'm fine, and then the leg pain kind of, you know, reared its head a few weeks later? Yeah, that's a good question. I I, I want to say it, it makes sense to me they'd be related. Um, it, it does. Uh, but again, I don't know for sure. I... I definitely can say I did the back pain never went away prior to the leg pain starting, but since the leg pain has started, I've not had a day of back pain and whether that's distraction hmm. or something else going on. And, um, that could be that. I, I do think that the, the incident in February on that squat probably had something to do with it just because a lot of the hip pain kind of started after that point. Um, as far as I can remember and, and, you know, maybe the back pain prior to that was, you know, something going on in the area. Um, but you know, I, I try not to think too much of like, how did I get here? And I try to put a little more focus into how do I move forward from this point? Because yeah. that's all I can do now. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, I think they're some probably somewhat related yeah. if I had to guess. And, and that's really important because we know now that back pain is so multifactorial, you know, it's very rarely due to that one cause. So kind of focusing on that past incident, maybe, and kind of overthinking it, you know, it, it doesn't really help, you know, because you're not going to not squat again. You know, that's not, it's, it's not a, it's not a realistic expectation. And that goes for anything, whether that's gardening or washing the car or picking up your child, you know, it's not realistic to expect you never to do that again. So focusing on that being that one sole cause is not going to help really in, in terms of the recovery. Right. Yeah. And, um, so I ended up getting an MRI around week six into it. Mm. Um, and saw that I did have, I ended up having an L5 herniation right there. Um, and it was rather large. <laughs> it, it was an extrusion is how it's classified. So a little bit of tearing there in the disc and all that. Um, but you know, it has a good 
a good natural history, you know, in terms of they, they tend to heal. Mm. So yeah. I'm ha- happy about that. Um, and I think that, you know, if anything, maybe that's maybe what happened back in February, maybe that was that point. Um, and then we just irritated from poking on it a little too much. Mm. So did you, did you self-refer yourself for an MRI? Because obviously, you know, you're in America, we're in England, we have slightly different kind of healthcare systems. You know, in, in England, you wouldn't get an MRI after six weeks on the NHS, you know, pretty much full stop. Um, you'd get, you could get paid to get a private one, um, but you, it'd be very rare for to have someone MRI after kind of that, that six-week mark anyway, unless there was kind of, you know, rare neurological symptoms or, you know, signs of cord equina and those type of things outside of emergency. Yeah, I, I, did, I self-paid for it, um, went private, and got it. And the reason I got it was three weeks in, I lost all strength in my calf. Um, so I had no neurological symptoms. It was all pain for the first about three weeks. And then right around week three, I, my outer toes started to go numb. I lost my Achilles reflex completely. And I was limping because I had no strength in my right calf. Um, and so that was the point I was like, I'm probably, it's probably going to be a good idea that I at least get a neuro consult here, um, get that opinion. Um, and in order to do that, they're not going to schedule me until I have an MRI. So I went and private paid for it. I could have, my wife is a Cairo as well. So she could have referred me if I wanted to use my insurance. Um, but my deductible was so high. I was like, that's eh, going to be I'm going to be paying out of pocket anyway. So yeah. I'm just going to go get it so I can get it a little faster. Do, do you think that changed your opinion of it? So kind of think of, you know, how you felt about your back the day before imaging compared to that kind of days afterwards, you know, did it help, you know, reaffirm what you thought or did it make you potentially more fearful of, you know, having seen a picture of, of a disc? I don't think it made me more fearful by any means. If anything, once the neuroscience started, I kind of knew I was like, there, there's a, a yeah. good chance of what I'm going to see. And I know what I'm going to see before I go into it. Um, I wasn't expecting to see it as large <laughs> as it was if I was, you know, I'm not going to lie there. Um, but on the other hand, you know, it get, it does give you a reason. It's like, okay, like there's a reason I feel this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it also helps set in my mind about maybe what my timeline might look like. Yeah, I might be dealing with this a little bit longer than, you know, the other back strains that I've had in the past. Yeah, so and it, so it, gave, it gave you some focus as well then in that, as you said, you, you gave, you know, you know you're not looking for that quick fix, like we're speaking off air. Off air. You know, it's, it was unlikely you're going to wake up tomorrow and be completely pain-free, especially kind of once you've got those neurological symptoms they said their weakness and the you know the numbness and the loss of sensation all those things which is very normal that it comes on as a delayed reaction as well so after that incident in feb and it's what a lot of people listening might not be aware of is that you know you, you can you know call you can have an incident that might you know irritate a disc you might rupture a disc you might have a disc herniation that can irritate a nerve but those nerve symptoms might take weeks and weeks to actually rear their head um so and you can have severe nerve compression and no nerve symptoms at all. So it's all a bit of a bit of a clusterfuck, really, when it comes to a lot of these, you know, findings and MRIs matching the symptoms. You know, they don't really don't always match that well, do they? They don't. They don't. Um, but yeah, I mean, well, I think the important thing for me going into it was that that idea that I probably knew what I was going to see at a time. So I wasn't, 
even look, I could ignore a lot of the things that may have gotten put into the report because I knew what I was looking for, you know? Um, and, and I think that I do think about, you know, other patients that I've referred for MRI where I try to have that conversation with them ahead of time of, Hey, there might be a lot of stuff written on this report, but this is the thing we might be looking for based on what we're seeing here in the clinic. Yeah, the, 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 the MRI is just a single snapshot of you in one moment in time. It will show a whole lot of crap on there. You know, generally everybody walking around has loads of incidentalomas, things on scans. And that's the danger, isn't it? When you don't explain that well, people come out and they say, oh, but I've got five disc bulges and I've got, you know, facet arthritis and I've got, you know, spinal degeneration and all these type of things. But they're 70. And most people have those changes anyway, but we're only interested in one specific area really to correlate that with our history and our findings and your presentation at the time. So it's kind of matching up. It's just one piece of a jigsaw, isn't it? To give you that diagnosis really. Yep. Yep. So how did that change then over the next few, so that was February kind of March. What, how did that then progress over the next few weeks and months and really in terms of your pain and, and recovery? Yeah. So the, the first six weeks or so, um, was where the majority of the sharp shooting pains were happening. Um, just kind of getting out of bed, just a random step I would take, get a zing in the leg. Um, that settled that part of the pain settled itself for a large part in kind of the first couple months. Um, and then the, what I love, what was I, yeah, sorry, what I was left with was kind of this aching pain in my hip that was just constant um unless i was laying in bed essentially and i would get a there was a point where i would get the the worst pain i was having was when i would try and change positions in bed if i would try and just roll over and so it was waking me up all night every time i would shift from one side to the other it would just hit me um really sharply and that was a pain and then that kind of started to go away. Um, and it's gotten gradually better and better to where I could, it's not like down my leg anymore. It's more in my hamstring right now. Um, I got to a point maybe around month three or so where it could be controlled pretty decently by ibuprofen, which was nice. Um, and so that would kind of get me, I try and take an ibuprofen through the day and that would kind of get me through the day to be on my feet and, you know, taking care of the things I need to take care of and carrying on. And, you know, and then I try and just deal with it later on in the day from there. Um, so from, from that point, it's just kind of, it's kind of gradually gotten better little by little. Uh, it's these days, the progress in terms of pain is a lot slower. So I have to, you know, temper my expectations a little bit of how I'm going to be, you know, next week or so. Uh, I'm not seeing dramatic changes here and there, but I've also come pretty far. So that could, that's to be expected that, you know, when there's less change to happen, every little bit is gonna, you know, is going to be a little bit harder to come by. Yeah. Takes longer. Yeah. Um, Jacob, so, during this um this sort of course of of how it's been feeling i mean what have you been doing to help it i mean uh i've been taking obviously you mentioned ibuprofen have you been doing any treatments whether that's you know hands-on therapies exercises what have you done or implemented uh to help push that along 
for the most part, I haven't done any, I haven't done any hands-on therapy. Um, just not a thing I have ever really valued a whole lot and for myself personally, um, or, and so I didn't really see the benefit of that. Um, but what I've mostly done is managed provocative activities. Like I, I made a big list of all the things that I struggle with in just day-to-day life, as well as kind of my exercises and my movements that I have. And I've kind of been trying to check those boxes of, all right, we're not struggling here anymore. We're not struggling here anymore. And I can kind of objectively see where I'm getting better. Um, so for like the first six weeks or so I took like with exercise, I went upper body only, didn't really do any, any lower body work. It was just hurting too bad to try and move my hips pretty much. And, uh, after that, started working some of those, some small movements back in some squats to a high bench, some split squats through a pretty short range of motion. Um, still can't hip hinge for shit anymore, <laughs> but we're working on that one. Um, and a lot of it was just really load management and, you know, working within the tolerance of my body at the time and trying to gradually expand my capabilities. Um, and you know, whenever I, felt like I needed to take a bit of a break. I take a bit of a break on days. That I need a bit of a lighter day. I just take that lighter day and it had to really just be very kind of, I had to regulate it on a day to day basis. Um, in terms of managing the pain, again, a lot of just, I figuring out what my movements were, what the activities were, how long I could do certain activities before it was not, I wasn't going to be very happy with it. Um, knowing positions that I could be comfortable in to get work done, like on my computer and stuff. Um, ibuprofen helped quite a bit with, with this one, um, which was good. And then, uh, as of two days ago, I went and got an injection and to kind of take that, that next step in the care to see, see how that goes. Uh, and that was an injection into your, into your spine or into the nerve? Yeah. Yeah. Um, trans, it was a transforaminal epidural. So right, right over by the, right over there by that nerve. Absolutely. How are you feeling now? It's pretty decent. Um, it up until I guess before the injection, the, where I was at that ache that I would have in my leg, it, if I was on my feet for around 20 minutes or so, it would kind of spread and felt like kind of a compression wrap around my thigh. Um, and it just felt very squeezing. And since then, since I've gotten the injection, it stays pretty localized to my hamstring. Like I still feel it. Um, feels like a deep bruise mm. in there, but it's not spreading. I can pretty much be on my feet. I can sit in the chair right now, um, which is something I haven't done in a while. Uh, sit in the chair for a long <laughs> please time. Please get up if you need to get up and walk around. Please don't uh, let this yeah, podcast yeah. I'm, actually, I'm actually feeling okay. Yeah, good. Uh, I'm, I'm actually feeling okay with it. And um, But that's going to be one of the main thing I've seen from the injection, which is, uh, at least in the first couple of days, is it's really kind of help stop the sp- the pain from really just like spreading and escalating on and on, which, you know, is really what I've, cons- I, I, you know, I've mostly looked at that as this is how I manage the pain is I don't really look at it as pain relief. I just look at it as pain control. And mm. with the difference there in my mind being that, you know, when I look at pain control, I accept that pain's a part of this process. It's not something that's going to change immediately. So I don't need it to be gone. I just need it to be controlled enough to, so I can carry on. Um, and relief will come through a product of time and, you know, all the other things, you know, just managing my activities over that time. 
So, and then my job is to kind of just control it in the process. Love that. I love that. I mean, what I really, really love about that, Jacob, as well, is that that's something that anyone can do. We've not just described a, a seriously high-paid Swiss Alps hospital treatment that only one in a million can get. This isn't a, a rigorous 25-step program that's going to you know, take you from noon till night. You've uh, uh, The phrase you used was fantastic. Uh, was it a... Uh, um, uh, I wrote it down. Apologies. Uh, so you, um, uh, was it reduced provocative activities? Yeah. Now my brain went, stop doing stupid shit. So I was like, right. Okay. Stop doing stupid shit. A, um, B was like a moderation of movement. So stop doing the stuff that hurts me. And if I need to do that stuff, like you mentioned, sitting on the computer, stuff like that, try and moderate it so I can move around it. Cause I can't just cancel life. Right. I've got to keep right. doing things. Um, and then rather than a pain relief, it's pain management or, or, or pain reduction whilst your body gets on with doing what, what bodies do. Yeah. Now, anyone can do that. Any listener can do that listening at home. Um, I would hope that um, stop pissing it off, <laughs> allow it to heal, let your body do the things it needs to and moderate and change and adapt whilst that's going on. Um, uh, but you're you're coming from a privileged place obviously because of your, your background, but the fact that it's doable, it's a great show. Thank you. Yeah. It's, I think it's especially, it's important for me because I can identify my own kind of behavior patterns and say, I'm that person that would do, that would do stupid shit. Like <laughs> I, I'm that person that like, I'm, I'm motivated to go get my workout in. I'm going to go, I want to go try and do something and I have to pull myself back and say, listen, you like give your body time right now. Like it's okay. You're not going to lose it, you know? Um, and figuring that out because I'm definitely not a person who's naturally avoids things whenever it comes to with pain. And part of that is kind of my privileged position of my background and my knowledge of some of this. Um, but I know that I tend to fall on the other end of that spectrum and will ag will continue to aggravate if I don't keep myself in check. So controlling myself has been something that's very, been very important for me. Well, knowing what to do and doing it is two very different things sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, those would, would, would all look like Ryan Reynolds <laughs> if that was the case. <laughs> Well, you might do. <laughs> yeah, no, I know I don't. But the and also the other really interesting thing you said was that with that like provocation list of you know of, of stuff that pissed it off, you then work can work through that at a later date. So you go, oh well, it was really sore. I'm guessing things like putting your son in his cot. You might have been got a lot of provocation activity or picking him up from the floor. But then in a month's time, you go, oh, I can do that now. Or I couldn't sit in the car for two minutes and now I can do a half an hour journey. Or you can sit and record this podcast, sat down and it's not irritating that hamstring too much. So that's also a massive mindset shift of kind of a check in the, oh, I'm getting there. And it gives you those small wins of I am recovering. Whereas if you just ask someone how they're feeling and they just say, oh, well, I'm still in pain because, you know, for all intents and purposes, you do have still have pain. But you can do your function has improved so much, and those are other methods of tracking that recovery than just you know zero pain, which is obviously everyone's ultimate goal, but not always a realistic possibility. Yeah, for, for I yeah, that was one of the things I did around I don't know week two or three or so is I I just sat down and pulled up an Excel spreadsheet and just made a list, and it was things like um, sitting up in bed, sitting on the couch, making breakfast, going for a walk, and then I would go through things like movements hip hinge, split squat, squat, 
that type of stuff. And I kind of tiered them in terms of like how I expected them to come back. You know, the order that I expected some of that to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason I made that list is once I kind of had an idea that this might take a little bit longer, you know, this didn't just get better in a week. It didn't get better in two weeks. It didn't get better in three weeks. Um, I start, I recognized something that, you know, we get a little bit of a recency bias with some of our pain ratings of you start to think about your last good day and your last bad day. And you don't really, you kind of forget how bad it was on, you know, the, that first week or so. And so if you just ask, you know, oh, how's the pain today? It, you know, you might not, the pain reduction, if you just ask, you know, zero to 10 may not be a real reflection of the progress you've made over that time period. Um, And cause like whenever I first went to the, I went to a neurosurgeon and had a consult with him. Um, You know, I rated my pain as a seven at that point. And then the, at my, at the pain management clinic, they asked me, Oh, what's your pain? I rated it as a five. And, you know, over the past two and a half months or so in that time frame, have I had more, you know, have I seen more progress than what that two point drop in pain really reflects? Absolutely. My, you know, my mood is different. My mindset around is different. My function is way different. Even my pain is different. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just a different type of pain. <laughs> and, um, you know, and the longer you go with these things, the more I think the, I, the more I think the emotion at, dissociates itself from the intensity, the longer you're in pain. Um, which is something that I had never experienced firsthand before. Mm-hmm. And that's something that this experience, this has taught me was whenever I was, you know, in the first few weeks, you know, I, it's unpleasant because of how bad it hurts. Now it's just what if this, if this is what I was feeling, the pain level that I'm at right now, if I was in week one or so of this, I don't know that I would care even, you know, yeah. but the fact that it's like five, I'm five months deep into this, it, it's been emotional. It's been an emotional roller coaster. And now it's just unpleasant due to how long I've been, I've just, how long I've been dealing with it and how I've been dealing with it every single day for that time period. Mm. Um, mm. So those objective markers and kind of finding some metrics outside of pain numbers has been very helpful to make sure that I'm keeping tabs on, you know, how far I've come and that kind of keeps my head in the right space. Brilliant. I love that. And that's that, like I said, whether that's the, the the provocation list and all those little wins. So for anyone listening, think about the things which you can do now that you possibly couldn't have done even a week ago, even a day ago or six months ago, because although your pain levels might be similar or different or, you know, in terms of that, what we call the visual analog scale and one to 10, how bad is your pain? You might have dropped one point and that might on the surface look pretty bad. But as you said, now you can pick up your kid and you can drive your car and you can go to the gym and go for a walk without, you know, without having to stop every two minutes because your leg pain is so bad. So that shifts that positivity mindset into that. I'm, I'm getting better. And then people will actually start to be a bit more positive about it. And you know all too well how emotionally draining, as you just said, that the pain can be when you're in it for when you're in it for the long haul. Yeah. So do you think that then has changed how you deal with patients with sciatica? Because obviously I'm sure you've seen hundreds and thousands of patients 
before this incident and obviously you've seen patients during this incident as well. Have you modified anything with regards to your approach when someone comes in with this acute pain or long-term pain? Yeah, it. I would say there are a few things. On the one hand, I think it's this has made it easier for me to be comfortable telling someone this could take a while and and not always trying to overpaint the a rosy picture for everybody and um, being a, saying hey so this might take time you might have to go through this for a while but here's what we need to be here's where we need to put our focus right now um on the other hand i think it's made a bit of a soft spot for in me for people that are going through this because i'm like oh wow this sucks like and this is my first time experiencing this so um you know when somebody's telling me i feel like i can't get out of bed i remember those days like i i know those days where i can't get out of bed and i didn't want to and so it's you know it, it makes me think like well what do i say to this person right now do i just tell them like hey try again tomorrow you know like i get it if you need to if you need to chill you need to chill um and but you know i think the biggest thing is I am taking a lot more time to just ask people, how are you getting along? You know, um, because this, I was telling my wife, this is the first thing I've gone through where I feel like I could have, I could benefit from a support group having been in, in pain for so long around like the, the transition from like month three to month four was really rough for me psychologically. And at that point, like I was low and I was like, wow, like I could use somebody to talk to here who maybe understands what it is I'm going through. And, you know, I think that, you know, we as clinicians, we can hope kind of be that sounding board a little bit to, you know, check in on people and not let it be a, Hey, how you doing? Hey, how's your pain? Like, you know, where we kind of just rush it off at the first of the session and then kind of get into the work. Like, really talk to people to you know set aside that time to be like how are you getting along how are you how are you dealing right now but then those and those emotions and those beliefs and the you know anxiety and depression that people feel when they're in pain long term we know also is associated with poor outcomes so as clinicians, if we can have an influence on that and by simply checking in with someone a bit more regularly or kind of unpacking their thoughts and fears around their pain and their beliefs around it. And as you said, more than just how's your day going, you know, how's it really going and actually really getting into the nitty gritty of it. Sometimes that's enough. And I'm sure we've all had experience with patients when we've asked that and people have just burst into tears, you know, or, or they've to, and they've, because it's the first time someone's checked in with them. So, you know, that, that li those little phrases and those little words can be hugely impactful, not just short-term, but also long-term on someone's recovery. Right. And, you know, one of the other things this thing has taught me is, um, you know, we do know about some of the like mood and how people get down and everything and how that d does have an impact on outcomes. But the other thing that it is that I've seen is the pain experience itself has been a stimulus for that to manifest a lot of like the getting down and the struggle and everything um isn't something i started with it's something that came on as i went through it and that was something maybe i that was something i didn't expect um 
And so when you see somebody who is, you know, maybe, maybe they're really good on day one, you know, when you had them fill out your, your form or whatever, you know, they were really good and they didn't look like they had any risk factors or whatever. And now they're three months in might, maybe we check back in with that person and see how they're going. Um, because I know for me, a lot of the psychological toll was kind of like I said in that kind of transition from month three to month four, where I think I was still holding out a little bit of hope that this thing was just going to spontaneously resolve in a short time frame. Um, and I didn't have that full acceptance of, okay, we're, we're really in this for the long haul, you know, but you're also compounding that with the reality that it's going to take a bit longer and you're compounding it with the fact that you've just been dealing with this crap day in, day out. Um, and again, the word I've used for this is just emotionally exhausted. I'm, I wasn't even, I didn't feel like the intensity of my pain was as bad as it was in the first couple months, but I was just emotionally exhausted from it. Um, and then around after kind of month four, I was able to kind of gather myself and say, all right, no, we're going to have to, we need to find some joy in our life in this situation. We gotta, we gotta figure out how we're going to live through this because, you know, if you, if I put pain free as the only way that I can be happy again, that means I have to be miserable through the process. And it's the only way I get happy is by removing this negative thing from my life. I need to find joy right now. I need to find a way to enjoy my life right now so that every time I get a little bit better, I'm adding a positive to my life. And I'm already at my goal. I'm just adding more to it. I'm not removing some negative thing to eventually reach it. Um, And that's the thing that kind of has flipped a switch for me and just really improved my well-being um, over probably the past four weeks or so. That's fantastic. I think um, anyone listening with pain who's possibly in a bad patch, who's, who's not um, on the way up, as it were, uh, that'll probably be something very much for them to hear. Um, Jake, well, well, look, while we're on that, um, do you have any other tips or any, any kind of uh, mindset um, improvements for anyone who is going through a bad patch, or anyone who is on that that month three or month four drawing, um, uh, drained feeling. Try to identify where it's coming from it is my, like, I think my biggest thing for people to, to know is well, the pain's part of it. It really is. Um, and I think that's something that we need to recognize, like the pain is part of it and it's not just thoughts and feelings. Like, you know, we, we don't, don't, you can't think your way out of this. It's still going to hurt. <laughs> you know, but why does it, you know, what is, what is it impacting you with? Um, and is it impacting you in ways with your life that, um, maybe go outside of the pain? So as an example there, you know, I, my, my wife's working, you know, I feel like I'm not working enough. Like I, you know, I, I feel like a bit of a burden to, and it's like, I need to, what do I do to address that? You know, and a lot of that can be addressed with a simple conversation of saying like, you know, to where we clear the air to where, you know, she doesn't think that about me. She doesn't think I'm a burden. I'm thinking that she thinks I'm a burden and mm-hmm. that's a self-reflection. And so can we address that? Um, I recognize that 
I felt worse when I would get in a bad mood and I would get in a bad mood because I was hurting and I would, you know, situations that I normally would just laugh off. I was just letting myself fall over the edge with it. And in, by recognizing that I was able to start to control it better and, you know, step back. Um, and from there, you know, it started to affect me less. So I think th those are all things. And again, just what are the things that you, what are the things that just really bring joy to your life? And for me, you know, it's spending time with my family and my son and that, and we go to the beach on the weekends out here in Florida. And there was a point, you know, where I would just kind of, I wouldn't go down to the beach because I didn't want to, I just was afraid I wouldn't be able to sit down. I wouldn't really be able to do anything. You know, I wasn't going to enjoy myself because I wouldn't be able to take my mind off the pain. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to go down there. I'm going to get in the ocean. I'm just going to, I would rather be in pain and be there and be present than not. Um, and I can come lay down, I can come lay down and let the pain settle later. Um, but getting that and doing that was a choice that I would make to say, you know, I don't have to avoid pain here. I can, because avoiding pain is also avoiding other things that bring meaning to my life. And so there's just a trade-off. Where do you want to suffer right now? Because I accept that I'm going to, that I accept that I'm going to probably suffer somewhere in my life, whether that be a little bit physically, or it can be a little emotionally. And, you know, for me personally, I deal with the physical a little bit better. So this is what I choose to do today. And tomorrow it might be different. I love that. Yeah. If you're going to suffer anyway, like you said, pain is a part of it, which I might have to get on a poster somewhere. Um, if pain is a part of it, rather than avoiding it, if you're going to suffer anyway, do you want to suffer at home alone on the sofa or on the beach with your family out with friends? The sufferings are, are sort of inescapable almost at that point. So you might as well suffer whilst doing something that does bring you joy while grasping one of those small wins. Yeah. I mean, it's, and if I'm laying at home, I am just, there's nothing to take my mind off of it other than sitting on my phone and scrolling social media. That's the only distraction I'm going to find versus, you know, if I'm out at the, I'm out at the beach or something, um, I can be fully engaged with what I'm doing out there and yeah, I'm going to feel it here and there, but like, it's not going to be at the forefront of my mind, um, until it really starts to ramp up on me. Um, and at that point we'll do, you know, we'll do what I need to do to try and find a nice easing position or something. Um, but like it went, I noticed whenever I was with patients in the office was the point that I hurt the least because I was engaged in other things versus when I'm just sitting, like reading an article on my computer or something, it's, I have a much harder time taking my mind away from it. Um, and so I think for somebody who's kind of going through a rough patch as well, finding things that you can really ask yourself, like, what's something I can just really engage with. And it's usually something you really enjoy. You know, it's something that you really would, you can put your mind to it because you enjoy putting your mind to it. You're not trying to suppress the pain. It distraction comes naturally and that's what you need to find. And it, it, it's almost that like, it, it's, I mean, acceptance isn't there, but it's acceptance of the pain that, you know, you're not looking for that, instant fix you've accepted that this is going to take a while it, it will get better and it's but it's not going to get better tomorrow but rather than 
letting that become part of your identity and you know you're you're a back pain patient or a sciatica patient it's you're just a, a normal person who happens to have a bit of sciatica what can i do to make the most of it still and that's you know kind of the attitude it's a very stoic attitude is taking your yourself out of that situation and kind of seeing it objectively okay i'm gonna have a i'm gonna have a bit of a day in a bit of pain today would i rather be in pain at the beach watching my son play in the waves or would i rather have a day sat staying on a wall on my couch you know and it's that and and that attitude is is, is really good it's very difficult to and we're saying it like it's very easy to get to that point it's not and for people in a lot of pain it's very hard to do that but it's encouraging that it's possible and starting with smaller wins okay just walking to the park walking to up and down the stairs once or twice walking to into the garden you don't have to go to the beach you know <laughs> beaches in england this time of year you don't really want to go to either they're a bit cold <laughs> a bit cold but a bit different to florida mate <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. You know, I think a lot of people have struggle with acceptance because acceptance feels like giving up. And, and sometimes acceptance is framed as accept that you're a per accept that you're a person in pain or accept that you just in pain and carry on with life with it. Um, and you know, I think acceptance needs to be like how you just framed it was pain is a part of my life right now. I but it is not my life. It's a part, it's just a part of this stage and this space and this thing that I have to deal with, um, you know, an acceptance that pain isn't going to change tomorrow doesn't mean that you stop trying to move towards pain-free and feeling like your old normal self again, at some point in the future, you just accept that it's not in your, you might accept that it's not in your immediate future. And as you do that, you're then able, I think that's the first point where you would kind of find that positive aspect of like, okay, I can live right now. I can live right now and still try and move forward because otherwise I'm just like, I'm fighting myself. Yeah, exactly. And you know, that's, it brings this stoic quote, something about enjoying present pleasures in such a way that you don't uh, neglect or you know injure the future um, pleasures and focusing on the present times and the now is so important you know for that and the fear of pain is often worse than pain itself you know we're kind of getting deep into philosophy here but it's a uh, but it's so true and those kind of thoughts and actions have such an impact on our recovery um, you know as to how we get better long term yeah Fantastic. So I think, you know, that's a really a whistle stop tour of your kind of six month journey you know, into sciatica. And I really appreciate your insight to that. You know, as I said, your unique insight, because although you're not the only chiropractor with sciatica that's ever, ever walked this uh, walk the earth, there's not a it, it, it's less common, as you said, that, that you see see clinicians with with pain and sciatica and let alone the ones that actually want to talk to us. So that's really <laughs> is really kind. So thank you for taking taking the time. Anything that you'd like to add that you think that would be beneficial to people listening? Anything that you think that we didn't cover or would like to have a like to discuss? Um, only thing I think I could, I could say is, you know, if you are someone who is potentially looking at, you know, the long haul, um, maybe don't look to the, how long it could take from day one. Um, if you had told me that I'd be sitting here five months later, um, it's still dealing with this. And you told me that back at like week three, week six, I would have been on the surgeon's table. Like, I'd be like, I can't deal with this. There's no way I could be there. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you need to, you know, take it step by step, 
And as long as you're progressing, there's nothing to say you won't keep progressing, but you got to figure out where your progression is. You know, you got to figure out what am I, where am I making progress? And some of that comes back to those, you know, identifying those small wins. Um, as you go through it longer and for a subset of us, we are going to have to just go through pain longer. Um, it becomes easier to look out on a longer time frame, but it's just, that's just not easy from the outset. Um, and so I would recommend that, you know, even as a clinician, you know, we can say, Hey, there's a chance this thing takes six months. Um, but let's not put our mind there. Let's see how you feel over the next four weeks. Let's look for some progress over the next four weeks. And then, you know, from there, we'll make the next decision of, you know, do you want to deal with this? You know, do you want to keep pushing forward for another six weeks or so? And then once you get there, we'll reevaluate that decision. There's nothing to say that um, you have to have it all figured out. You know, it's an evolving process um, and you're going to change your decision-making as you go. And, you know, at some point I quit counting the weeks and I started counting the months uh, and um, it became easier to do that, you know? Um, but early on, I couldn't have thought about counting months and now I can. So uh, yeah, that, that'd be, a, you know, take it step by step, take it day by day and, you know, make the decisions as they come. Love it. Uh, amazing, Jacob. Thank you so much. It's been fantastic talking to you today. And, and what I've loved is there's such great take home points for um, so many people that will be listening with active back pain in those trenches right now. So thanks so much for, for being a great voice for them. Um, Jacob, where can people find more about you? Where can we find you? Uh, so I am, uh, so I'm in Orlando, Florida, if anybody needs any help, that's where I'm at. Um, but also social media, um, my big platforms, Instagram at Dr. Jacob Harden, also on Twitter, same handle. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, Jacob, thank you so much for joining us today. Any final points, Rob? No, that's it for me. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a, a fascinating episode. Thank you. Thanks for having me on guys. Love it. Bye guys. Over and out.